The reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5. It's quite a long passage. It's from verses 17 to 48. And so we put together some excerpts of that. So uh, the words may just, uh, if you're following in the Bible, you may have to jump just a, a little bit. But uh, we'll listen to what God has to say to us from this. Do not think, these are the words of Jesus, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at the woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's, foot, is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, I just want to pray now for Ian as he comes to bring your word, that you'll just bless him and speak through him now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Hello, everyone. I think it's true to say that all of us have a number of different ways in which we or other people 
uh, might describe us according to the different roles that we have in life. So that many of us will be a mum or a dad to our children. We are son or daughter to our parents. To other people, we're a friend. To yet others, we might be a boss or an employee and so on. One title is not enough to sum us all up. And if we are Christians, one word, one title is not enough to sum us up completely. So that we might say uh, uh, that as Christians we are believers. We believe certain truths about Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again, and that we put our trust in him. But we're also pilgrims on a journey. We are servants of a king. We are saints called in some ways to be set apart from the society in which we live. We are priests praying for our world and for other people and so on. And we are, as this sermon series identifies, apprentices Apprentices of Jesus, we are learning on the job from Jesus, our master. A more usual way of putting it is we are disciples, followers of Jesus, following his example, aiming to live by his teaching. So, and I think this is an important thing, I don't know quite what was behind the people who uh, suggested this uh, series, but it's not enough, uh, I guess, uh, uh, this might be what's behind it, it's not enough to make just a prayer of commitment sometime in the past. It's important that we are following Jesus now, his disciples, his apprentices, still learning from him. And so in this series, we're considering the teaching of Jesus in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, teaching that is primarily for the disciples or apprentices of Jesus. Now today, we're looking at a, quite a long section of Jesus' sermon, chapter 5, verses 17, right through to verse 48. And in this section, there are a lot of specific things that Jesus teaches his disciples. But they are, I believe, the outworking of what Jesus says in verses 17 to 20 of chapter 5, particularly what Jesus says in verse 20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the way the message translation puts that verse. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you will probably already have in your mind that the Pharisees are the baddies in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And it is true that they do come in for a lot of criticism from Jesus. But they were a group who were meticulous in keeping or trying to keep God's law, trying to do the right thing 
in the eyes of God as they understood it. The trouble was, they so often missed the point, and that's what Jesus criticised them for. They were meticulous, for instance, in tithing, giving a tenth of what they had to God's work. But they even did that with, I'm not quite sure how they worked this out, but they did it with the herbs that they had, giving a tenth of that. What they didn't do was give enough weight to more important things, like justice and mercy. And their obedience to God's law was far too narrow. It reminds me of a scene in the film Made to Dagenham, which is based on the true story of how the women car workers in the Ford plant at Dagenham went on strike for equal pay with the men. Incidentally, although I was glad to watch the film, I quite enjoyed it, I'm not recommending it to you, particularly if you can't manage to shut out bad language when you're watching a film. And I definitely would not recommend the musical, which I think is far more offensive. Anyway, in the scene that I'm thinking of, uh, there's a conversation between one of the women leaders of the action. I think it's the woman that's on the poster that you'll see. Um, it's a, a conversation between her, Rita, and her husband, Eddie. And the conversation goes something like this. I've edited the bad language out. Eddie says to Rita, I like a drink, but I ain't out on the beer every night or sleeping with other women, and I never once raised my hand to you, ever, or to the kids. And Rita replies, right, you're a saint now, is that what you're telling me, Eddie? Could you give us an even break? That's as it should be. Oh yeah, actually you're right. You don't go on the drink, do you? You don't gamble. You join in with the kids, you don't knock us about. Oh, lucky me. Eddie, that's as it should be. You try and understand that. Do you see, Eddie's view of what a good husband is was far too narrow. It was the minimum his wife had a right to expect. And it strikes me that the Pharisees were a bit like that, going for the minimum they thought that would, would give them the approval of God, not really understanding that doing what is right should come out of a loving relationship with God. Also, they were more concerned with outward action rather than what they were like inside, what their hearts were like. They were very hot on following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Jesus, in the passage we're looking at, tells us that for his disciples, there needs to be a correlation between heart and deed. That their righteousness, our righteousness, needs to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Okay, if then verses 21 to 48 is the outworking of how our righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees, let's remind us briefly of the specifics that Jesus teaches. It comes up with this refrain again and again, you have heard it said, but I tell you. 
Incidentally, though I'm not a great fan of the message translation of the Bible, with this particular passage, I think it is really, really good. If you get time, do read it. It it will do your heart good. Anyway, firstly, Jesus' call is not just do not murder, but don't be angry with others. The footnotes in many Bibles point out that some manuscripts which are used for translating the Bible uh, have do not be angry without cause, which I think is quite helpful because at times anger can be a proper response to some wrong. But we must be careful not to harbour anger, not to harbour grudges, As Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, never go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that sort of foothold. And don't insult people by calling them stupid or an idiot or even, as I've heard sometimes, a waste of space, which I think is a horrible thing to say of anyone. Our words should be a reflection of good things within Don't be angry. Secondly, Jesus' call is not just do not commit adultery, but don't harbour lust within. Here's the message translation. Don't think you preserved your virtue simply by staying out of the bed of someone other than your spouse. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Don't harbour lust. I was very tempted with the third thing, to leave this out, because Jesus, um, pin, uh, what Jesus pinpoints deals with divorce. And this is a far bigger subject that can be dealt with in part of a 20-25 minute sermon, So please bear that in mind in what I say and in what Jesus says in these verses. It seems in the time of Jesus that some men were taking something that was permitted in the law in terms of divorce and using it as a pretext for dissolving a marriage much too readily. So perhaps the teaching of Jesus here in Matthew 19 could be summed up as Don't take divorce lightly. Remember what marriage is meant to be, that it is a covenant, a solemn covenant promises um, between two people. Now, you may think that's not strong enough to express what Jesus is saying. Or you may think that no one would take divorce lightly. But only this past week I've heard on the radio someone, a relationship counsellor, I think, saying about how she felt that because we're living longer, it's unrealistic to expect people to commit to marriage for life. Well, that's not the teaching of Jesus. The fourth of these specific issues deals with um, taking oaths. And that doesn't seem very relevant to us in our culture, Generally, the only oaths that we take are in a court of law. 
in a legal setting. Don't think that that is what Jesus had in mind. So I'm going to use the message again to help us see what's behind this. And that translates this as, as this. Don't say anything you don't mean. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes or no. Fifthly, Jesus deals with our reaction when we are wronged. Call of Jesus to his disciples, to us as his disciples, is not to hit back, either verbally or physically. I tell you, says Jesus, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, I think what Jesus says here, I don't want to take away from what he says, but it does need a little bit of careful thought and interpretation. I think what he is dealing uh, with here is how we deal with wrongs that are done to us personally. Not with um, wrongs uh, that uh, uh, we shouldn't keep quiet about wrongs or injustice done to other people. We should be calling out and working against evils and injustice that affect other people. We mustn't be complacent about the evils done within our world. So it's a personal call. I also believe this is not to be a call, not a call to be passive in an abusive physical or sexual relationship that affects us personally. That does need resisting, confronting, maybe calling on the help of, of others to resist the evil person. There may also be some other instances where it is right to resist a wrong that's done to us personally. Perhaps it's helpful here to hear the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 19, this time from the New Living Translation. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honourable. Never take revenge. So don't hit back. And then lastly, the last thing that Jesus deals with in this section, um, I'm going back to the message here. Here's verses 43 and 44 from that translation. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. In other words, don't just love those within your circle, your friends or family. Expand your love to reach others, particularly those you wouldn't normally mix with. Even more than that, love those who may be suspicious of you, who are unfriendly or even worse to you. Okay, 
So we've quickly looked at how Jesus gives specific instructions on how our righteousness, trying to do the right thing in God's eyes, works out in practice. Do not anger, don't harbour lust, and so on, don't hit out. The trouble is, how can we possibly match up to the standards that Jesus gives? How can we be sure that our thoughts and hearts are good? It can't be done, can it? I don't think it can. Apart from two things, the grace of God and the Spirit of God. God's undeserved blessing and help and the undeserved gift of the Holy Spirit whom he gives to those who put their trust in his son Jesus. The new covenant that was promised in the Old Testament and found fulfillment in Jesus promises not just forgiveness, but also God's law written on our hearts and a new spirit within. That is the gospel, the good news. So we recognise our dependence upon what God has done and does to be able to come near to the standard that Jesus calls us to. Like Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk whose conversations are recorded in a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God, when we fail to do right, we might want to pray like him, Lord, I shall never do otherwise if you leave me to myself. Tis you who must hinder my falling and mend what is amiss. Quite quaint language, but you get the gist. But acknowledging that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to change what we're like from the inside, there are things we can do to cooperate with him in that. And Jesus identifies three things at least in the passage that we're looking at. First of all, in making and keeping good relationships with others, take the initiative. Jesus says this in verses 23 and 24 of Matthew 5, from the message again. If you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave it immediately, go to this friend, Make things right. Then and only then, come back, work out things with God. It's a bit strange and uncomfortable that Jesus puts things that way round, isn't it? So much easier to come to God, ask his forgiveness, and then, well, maybe we'll go, maybe not to the other person. After all, making things right with God is the important thing. Isn't it strange that Jesus puts it the other way round? So take the initiative, also take the initiative in making and keeping good relationships even when there's no conflict or someone hasn't wronged you. Second practical step, take decisive action with sin and temptation. The words of Jesus again. This time uh, is from the New Living Translation, 29 and 30 of the passage. If your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. 
Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now surely Jesus cannot mean this to be taken literally. He himself taught that the problem is not outward, it's in our hearts. Regarding, um, so regarding eyes and ears, how are we to take this? Might mean taking a firm line, firm line with what we ourselves watch and listen to. Films or dramas or comedy might mean switching off something we've started watching, even walking out of something that turns out to be not what we feel God would want us to be watching or listening to. Even if other people feel that we're prudes. Regarding hands, it could mean watching what you type in emails or on social media. Stopping to think, not only before you type, but before you let it go out. Take the initiative, take decisive action, and thirdly, do good to others by your words and actions. We've already looked briefly at who we should show love to, not just friends and families, even those who speak, badly of us and treat us badly. In what ways then should we bless others? Jesus identifies two. Firstly, praying for them. Asking God's help for them and their families. Asking God's help for them in their work. Asking that they will know and recognise the love that God has for them. Second, by greeting them, saying hello to them, speaking to them, not ignoring them. I'm sure we can expand that, find other ways, you know, sending people cards, flowers, meeting for a coffee or a pint, if that's your thing, a walk together. Bless people. So in cooperating with the Holy Spirit in his work, we take the initiative in making and keeping good relationships with others. We take decisive action with sin and temptation, and we aim to do good to others, to those who treat us badly, as well as those who treat us well. I wonder when you, if you, when you were listening to the reading, whether you picked up on the very last verse of the reading, where Jesus says something which just seems unattainable. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we need to see that in the context of the few verses that come before, which is about how God treats good and bad people. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, the message translation is very helpful here. It says this, your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generous, generously and graciously toward others, the way God lives towards you. 
live generously and graciously toward others the way that God lives toward you. What a great verse to learn and try to live by in the coming week and beyond. Amen.